0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and glad to help you on your journey towards senior leadership in the charitable world. Thank you for listening. Uh, Excited to have hit the one-year mark with this podcast. Uh, This is episode number 73 you're listening to now. Hard to believe that we have come this far, but it is not without great support from you, the listener, and I hope you might offer some additional feedback. If you go to our website, com, you'll see a link to a podcast survey, just a quick five-minute affair where you can tell us who you'd like to hear and what topics you'd like to hear about, and I would be happy to incorporate them into our 2021 plan. We are certainly going to continue to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders that are really on the cutting edge of our sector, and this episode is no exception. I had a great conversation with Valerie Williams, who brings significant experience in human resources, corporate communications, and perhaps most importantly, she's a licensed therapist. Let's face it, we've all had to consider the realities of mental health during this pandemic, and as well as the confronting the inequity and inequality in our race relations. I get it. You've already got lots to manage as a nonprofit leader, but you really have to consider how you will manage these crucial issues if you want to succeed. And Valerie's the perfect person to learn from. Uh, We discuss exactly how you can incorporate authentic diversity, equity, and inclusion into your nonprofit organization, and how you can better support the mental health of your team and yourself. Finally, we talk about effective communications and how you can raise your game both internally and externally. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 73. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources, links, and books, as well as more information on Valerie. And actually, if you're listening to this episode as it's being released uh, here in early December 2020, it's not too late to sign up for a workshop that Valerie is headlining. It's called the Profitable Communications for Nonprofits Workshop, and you can find out more about it in our show notes. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Valerie Williams. Valerie, thank you for joining me on the path.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, Valerie, you have a career that really is built for this conversation, and I'm excited to welcome you to the path and i know our listeners are going to benefit uh you're talking about some tough topics ones that nonprofit leaders uh, in some cases are struggling with how they manage uh, and more effectively manage dei in their organization diversity equity and inclusion and also the i think as you and i have talked before this episode the related mental health issues that we're all dealing with because of this perfect storm of 2020 so Uh, grateful for your time and of course we'll talk at the end about a workshop that you and I are both part of coming up in a few weeks uh, for around nonprofit communications so added bonus uh, for for people listening and learning from Valerie Williams today but Valerie before we get into all that tell us how did your career unfold and how did it lead to the work you're doing now
1: sure uh, so what I love about this moment, about this perfect storm, as you described it, is that it's giving us an opportunity to talk courageously and candidly about two topics that have been off limits, especially from, um, from a corporate perspective or a workplace perspective. Right. And that is um, one being um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then another being uh, mental health. And so just kind of given everything that we've been through this year, those things are top of mind. And the reason why I'm that gets me excited is because of my background. And so, um, my background, I am a communication strategist as well as a licensed psychotherapist. And I might sound a little bit like a unicorn, but I would say, um, (laughs) (laughs) not really. Um, and kind of, I can talk through a little bit how I landed here, but, um, for the most part i've just always been in the people business i started my career um within hr um, and um, leading communications for our hr organization um i've stayed i stayed in communications um throughout my corporate career for about 20 years within that time i was always in a place i my role i always felt like was the liaison between kind of corporate leaders who are off in one space, making decisions to that impact the masses, so the employee population. Right. And I, I got to liaise between those two groups, um, and if not employees, then um, consumers. And so it, it's been my responsibility for as long as I've been um, working to help organizations and now, now more so to help indivi- individuals think think about and understand um, how people think how they feel and how that impacts behavior and so um, I did it in a you know very a traditional corporate space from a communications perspective again through internal communications external communications employee engagement um, a good portion of my work about 10 years or so in my career I supported, Um, diversity and inclusion. There was no diversity, equity, and inclusion um, at the time that I started supporting that space.
0: Good point. mm -hmm,
1: As well as um, multicultural marketing. So in that space, had to do a lot of work. um, Kind of psychographics is what we called it even in corporate to understand the consumer, the attitudes and the behaviors of the consumers, and then how to develop um, messages and marketing campaigns that would influence the behavior. So when I explain it that way, I think it kind of helps people to understand that it wasn't such a huge leap to transition more formally to the psychology realm in terms of becoming um, a psychotherapist. So I still wear both hats. Um, I work independently now, but um, I see, I counsel clients from a clinical perspective, but then I also work with um, organizations, large and small, as well as individuals on, Um, communication strategies, and people engagement strategies, and personal branding, and and things along those lines. And diversity and inclusion a lot more now than ever for for obvious reasons.
0: Well, and we'll definitely talk about that. And I would say you are a unicorn, Valerie, in (laughs) in the best sense of the word. Um, And everything you and I have discussed and that you're gonna discuss today certainly is amplified in the nonprofit sector, isn't it? And, And fortunately, you bring the science Uh, as a a clinical therapist, but also the people person, right? And I I guess Mm -hmm. your HR background speaks to that because so many of our nonprofit leaders are indeed trying to juggle the personalities and personnel and the stresses, uh, whether it's around DEI or just the pandemic. And so we're gonna get into all that and much more, but let me ask you another question. I'm asking all my guests, you're juggling a lot in your life, your family, your work. Um, How do you stay organized in this kind of virtual environment in which we're now all trying to operate?
1: Yeah, and and all struggling for the most part.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's not easy. And I have my moments just like everyone else. Um, One way I've um, been able to um, kind of pull it all together is thinking about what will I regret when this moment passes? So, you know, next year when things are normal again, and I'm using my air quotes, can't see them, but right. when things are, things are back to the way they were, opposed to what they were, or even a new normal, what will I say I wish I would have done more of or less of? And so, so with that, um, on one hand, I say, keep consistent, I'm keeping consistent with the things that worked for me when I was in the office. Right. So the structure is important for me, the routines, um, the same tools that I use to kind of manage projects, all those things, I just kind of transferred right to work situation, having Dedicated space for work, one that I can walk away from when it's time for me to, you know, engage in in home life. So, right. so that still some distinction. And we'll talk a little bit more about the distinction and how important that is um, later. But um, it's challenging. Um, some moments is great. It's obviously great to be able to throw a load of laundry in um, and then hop on a conference call, or just to um, be able to spend more time and have a twelve-year-old at home. Um, so to be more present for him, those things are great, but it's still, you know, work and workplace and what we do and how we do it is such a large part of our identity and who we are. So we're, we're kind of going through an identity crisis in addition to, put to all it. the other crises. So I, my recommendation is just to, you know, hang in there, but be thoughtful at the same time about this, this moment and what you want to take advantage of. Um, because we won't have a moment like this for better or for worse. Yeah, right. Um, Probably ever again in our lifetime, hopefully.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I, I just, I love that perspective and uh, your encouragement for us to reflect carefully on what, what will we value from this experience? There is some silver linings perhaps if we look hard enough and what would we regret if we didn't, you know, do the certain things as you described. So I just, I love that kind of concept of stepping back when it's hard to do, right? It's hard to do and uh, given the stresses and we'll talk about them, but I appreciate your perspective for sure. Um, Well, let's start with one of your kind of areas of expertise. And and as you said, um, many in our country, myself included, this has just not been a headline. I'm a white male uh, dealing with issues that you and others have had to deal with and have tried to illuminate and now Perhaps it's getting attention, but you you would suggest DEI is the quote new normal. Um, is is that a good thing now? Are you seeing progress? I guess give me your kind of thirty thousand foot view, Valerie, of the issue of DEI.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a, a good thing in terms of the fact that we are here. Obviously, not a good thing as far as how it came about and why. Right. Why it needs to be um, as prevalent of a topic as it is. Um, it's become a more natural part of a global discussion um, and definitely a national discussion. And again, I've been in the diversity, inclusion, multicultural space for more than 10 years, and I've worked with companies who are even considered progressive in terms of thinking about diversity and inclusion um, and people of color. But I can tell you there were times when there was a lot that um, that we wouldn't say we right. we wouldn't go there. Um, so it was always toting that line. And so where we are now, um, it diversity, equity and inclusion, um, one being a conversation on multiple stages from a corporate perspective, from a political um, perspective, even from a faith-based perspective, you just didn't see it before. Um, And so it's kind of now more front page um, above the fold. And there's just no time in history um, where that has been the case. And I do understand what's happening now is that because it's technically not trending anymore that people are making the assumption that that was just a moment in time. And so I want to encourage people who are feeling that way. The passion is still there. I'm actually consulting with um, two separate organizations now who made public commitments during the time of the social unrest over the summer. And now the work is happening behind the scenes to put action to those public, um, public commitments. And that's something that is very different. Um, again, based on my experience in this space, people did a, companies did an amazing job at creating diversity messaging and diversity statements. And right. that was that was part of my job um, throughout my career to help them create those messages that would resonate. Um, it's the action piece where, you know, that's been the, the biggest gap. And so um, I am encouraged and inspired and still hopeful that, um, we're moving beyond conversation at the words that are coming off the paper now and, and we're getting specific. Um, again, these some of the organizations I'm working with really had no di- formal diversity practice in place. And they're kind of taking leaps to move all the way um, towards being transparent and visible about um, making commitments around metrics as far as we plan to hire X number of diverse talent by this oh, yeah. time. Right. and that just didn't, it didn't happen before. Um, But
0: you're seeing more evidence of that now? Is that what you're hopeful about, I guess?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing that's different is the accountability. So uh, folks who still hold, all those companies who felt uh, very passionate again over the summer and rightfully so, but um, who came out with um, heartfelt messages, Um, They're being held accountable and not just by um, impacted communities, but I've even seen the media do a better job of holding organizations feet to the fire or calling out if their statements were inconsistent with what representation looked like internally from a board perspective, from an executive leadership team perspective. And again, these are things that just did not happen um, in the past from a political perspective a perspective and as a person of color for the first time ever to hear things like systemic racism be a part of a political conversation on, on national television or to hear um you know uh to be recognized as a person of color supporting a political process um it, it just never happened um before, So it's not to be naive and to think that everything has changed. Sure. I mean, there's some evidence that, you know, we still have work to do. But I'm just, I'm going to be hopeful about the progress. And I feel I feel like I have some additional insight because of the work that I do and what I'm seeing happening um, behind the scenes.
0: Uh, I'm encouraged as well. But uh, yes, lots of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, we need to move beyond not just talk and assure that we have a movement you know not just this moment of a George Floyd or Breonna Taylor that forces us to confront the ugly truths of our history right and and but I'm curious again as a leader you've seen it on the corporate community nonprofit side it's one thing to make statements which you certainly can help an organization articulate its mm-hmm. its message um, but you want to see action I, hiring strikes me as one of the key metrics are, are there other things you've seen and encouraged organizations with which you work. How else can we put these words into action?
1: um, Hiring is absolutely one, but also developing diverse talent within the organization. Right. And that's, that's sometimes a rub for diverse talent is when leaders you know, cr- shift to a diversity focus and then they start looking externally for talent exclusively. There has to be pipelines internally to create those opportunities, to create the grooming opportunities, the coaching opportunities, to, um, to you know, level the playing field so that diverse talent has the same access. Um, as everyone else within the organization, so this is as much of as, as much of a talent management conversation as it is a, a hiring um, conversation. So I'm seeing Good point. Um, what some organizations um, begin to develop more kind of talent pipelines and creating you know clear paths to leadership for um, you know what's considered like high potential um, talent um creating development programs and pathways that just didn't exist. So it's not just
0: Yeah, no, it's that's it's not just you kind know, of the diversity of my team, but it's also, I guess, an ongoing metric of their advancement opportunities, right? That right. we we can't just say, well look, we hired somebody diverse <laughs> and we're done. Exactly. Um, and, exactly.
1: And, and that's, it. that's happened for, for decades. It's, it's been a check-the-box approach. Um, yep. But now, and, I, and, and that leads to kind of one of the things that um, you know, that we, we talked about is just the understanding the equity.
0: Um, yeah, talk about that, because you, you mentioned when you first started, it was diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the E in the new DEI acronym.
1: Yeah, and I think so exactly what we're talking about is a good um, segue to that. So I can hire a diverse candidate, but what happens once they're inside of the organization? Right. The, the fact that a, diver, a diverse candidate has an opportunity to apply for any job that they want and should be considered is, is equality. Um, the distinction between equality and equity is once they are inside of the organization, do they have access to the same types of opportunities? Are they again, being groomed and and coached like their, um, you know, non-diverse counterparts? Are they being invited to the happy hours? Are they being pulled aside for the the coffee chats, things along those lines. So the, the equity piece is really that providing um, not it's not just the access. I think the equality again is the access, but equality can sometimes mean access, but with barriers or with challenges. Um, equity is about removing those barriers.
0: That's such a good point, and I'm struck by because I was first going to say, well, th- there are formal opportunities for professional development. If I'm a nonprofit leader, I need to make sure all of my team have opportunities for advancement and and invest resources in them, but you you mentioned, you know, kind of the subtle things, right? That will, will that person get invited to the after work social?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: is that kind of valid what you're saying that where yeah. a lot of organizations may fall short, they they check the box of professional development opportunities for everyone, but it's not that informal, uh, I guess, less tangible activity.
1: Right. That's right. And um, for, for leaders and leaders in your audience who manage diverse talent, another thing that's important to know is, um, and uh, not to make um, a generalization, but I mean, we there is data to support. Right. Um, diverse employees are not always going to raise their hand um, to um, ask to be invited. Right. Because that, I mean, that can be overwhelming and, and, and intimidating, Indeed. almost like, you know, asking someone on a date. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> right, right.
1: Uh, they may not always ask for um, the promotions. Um, there is this underlying kind of belief system that if I do my best work, then I will be valued and I will be recognized. And that's just not always the case. And again, that's the distinction between equality and, and equity. Right so Here I have the, the opportunity, the same as my colleague, and I'm going to do great work and I'm going to be able to advance just like my counterparts. But again, we all know that there's so much, there's a social capital that's just as important as, um, as the work and that's overlooked sometimes. But, but I, there's an opportunity for um, non-diverse leaders to um, you know, have a deeper understanding of kind of what's happening to, again, at the psychological level of um, diverse talent and what some of those barriers might be because they, they can interpret that as, well, if you haven't raised your hand, perhaps there's no interest.
0: Right, and I, I'm struck. So Valerie, if, if you're coaching me, I'm a nonprofit leader, I'm thinking, well, I, I announced to everyone this job opportunity is available and you know certain people applied in advance, but I guess you're suggesting I should, should go further and perhaps individually encourage people mm-hmm. to apply. Or not just announce that, hey, we're all going after work to a social setting. I need to be even more proactive, maybe in a one-on-one kind of basis.
1: Exactly. And, And it's about being relational um and being relational is just something that's become so much more of a priority not just for um diverse talent or people of color just in in general the expectations are shifting in terms of what the corporate workplace needs to look like and that relational dynamic has always been important to people of color specifically if you think about it from a cultural perspective and and family dynamics and multi-generational households and um, church communities, that relational component has always been important, um, again, for uh, communities of color in particular. And so, um, how that translates to the workplace is just so important and so valuable. And so it might not always need to be, you know, a a special invite. So I'm sending the Outlook invite for the happy hour.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, it might not um, need to be a matter of every time you're walking to that person's desk saying, no, oh, I need to make sure you saw that invite, but maybe you notice they haven't attended to social events, then it could be a conversation um, and not something, you know that's accusatory or anything along those lines, but just just notice.
0: Exactly. That's such yeah. a good point, And Is there anything else we can do to be better? Relational leaders, because I'm struck by that term and it makes, it now makes even more sense. I could be checking the boxes of leadership, but not being a relational leader. So have you seen good examples of that or other advice you might offer in that kind of arena?
1: It it goes back to, so um, Accenture um, released uh, a study sometime this year just around trust and how important that is in the workplace. And this, the study wasn't specific to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one of the concepts that they talk about is just net better off, and that's um, kind of based on this—the reality that employees that are more engaged are just going to perform better.
0: Right. Yeah. right. All of that is
1: there. Um, there's also data that supports, you know, what uh, the dips and the gaps in productivity that occurs um, and profit loss that occurs when employees aren't engaged and care for. Um, but the, the net better off um, concept or construct that Accenture talks about is just, they look at six different dimensions of, of human needs from a workplace perspective. And right. um, a couple of those things are emotional and mental, need, um, mental needs, as well as relational needs, in addition to financial. And also what the data says is that if you're meeting those emotional and mental needs and relational needs and um, um, helping the person to become employable. So that, that's the development part, that's the creating an opportunity part. Right. That, that fi- the financial need, which is one of the six, is less important.
0: So that and, makes sense. And yeah. so it's, it's not only the right thing to do, but it, it, it'll impact in a positive way your bottom line in terms of productivity. And uh, I guess overall advancement and success of the organization.
1: Yeah, and it, it just seems so simple. And and I, at times, I guess it feels like it's oversimplified. But just treat people well. Yeah. Let them know that they're they're valued, and they will show up for you.
0: Well put, and it seems a, a that's an appropriate segue in terms of treating ourselves and each other well, especially given the stress. And now moving to another area of your expertise, Valerie, mental health. Mm -hmm. And I I thought you put it very well that um, these issues are often um, below the surface. They have not historically been things we're comfortable talking about. So perhaps there is, uh, again, a silver lining in that mental health is receiving more attention. But what are you seeing, Uh, again, as a therapist? I'm guessing the the perfect storm you mentioned earlier has got to be creating a new level of stress unlike perhaps any time in our lifetimes
1: yeah definitely and so much so again that it's now a part of a broader national conversation as far as right so as much as i'm seeing headlines above the fold around diversity um, and inclusion people are starting to talk more about mental health and um, again, at large in part because of the pandemic and the in isolation and what that means from a mental health perspective, in addition to um, you know, some of the the racial stress and what what the impacts are um, from uh, what the psychological impacts are um, in terms of race and racism, and just being observers, observers of what's taken place this year. Um, again, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, just in, in a space where we didn't always have that level of visibility. And we didn't right. have those, um, the, the visual representation of what was happening. So being observers of that and not just people of color, of course, it's more intense for people of color, but just kind of, again, as a nation, having broader visibility to um, the injustices and having to come to some hard realizations Right. Having to do more self-reflection and be introspective about kind of where you are and what your values are um, as, a, as a person outside of um, these diverse groups. So, um, yeah, just, just psychologically overwhelming um, would be like the, the headline for 2020 my gosh,
0: um, from,
1: yes. from where I sit as a, as a mental health professional. And um, again, how my worlds blend when i'm consulting with let's say, corporate clients on engagement and messaging we're thinking about employee employee wellness we're thinking about well how do you time messages based on everything that's happening we're talking about not overwhelming employees and again those discussions are different than they were probably 10 years ago when i was developing you know communication strategy we might not have been as um, paying attention as much to where people were mentally. Good and then point. on the flip side of that, as a therapist, um, absolutely my clients are talking about um, the pandemic and the, the isolation and how they're dealing with that. Um, being concerned about your, your loved ones, um, you know, their, their physical health. Um, And then obviously, you know, I have clients um, of color who are then impacted as well. It's compounded by what's happening from a a social justice um, perspective. So it's intense right now. And and you have all that occurring at once. And then you still have this expectation because one of the things that's pretty rampant more now than ever is what's uh, what's been coined as a grind culture. Oh, yeah,
0: what do you mean? Or help help define that, please.
1: Yeah, so grind culture is um, essentially, you know, I grind all day, yes. <laughs> all day, all night, right. whatever it takes to produce the, the this outcome or to produce this product. And so much so like you know, it's it's a badge of honor, it's a rites of passage, it's the expectation. And if you're not grinding and not telling everybody and showing everybody um, that you're grinding then you're not ambitious yeah and yeah. so so how do you have time to care for your your mental health when you have these expectations and the difference is it, it's you know at one point that pressure was coming from inside the organization from leaders and corporations um but now it's external as well through social media because now i, I want to see what you produce if I'm someone you know who follows you, or you influence and influence me in some way, you know, I, I need to I need to see it. I need for you to make it real. I need to see the receipts.
0: <laughs> that's a pressure that we don't need, but yet it is all around us, isn't it?
1: All around us, crushing from all sides, and that that's another way that I've defined this year. Just in talking to um, clients and counseling clients in particular, just feels like crushing. Um, on all, and on all sides, and um, just how to and help people find those gaps or windows of opportunity to to come up for air.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that, Valerie, because it, it um, it's uncharted territory for a lot of leaders in any sector, nonprofit included. And you know, a phrase that several guests have mentioned on the podcast is, you know, one just giving yourself grace, giving others grace in mm-hmm. terms of relief. But I'm curious when, when you see situations like this, racial unrest, which clearly is affecting some members of the team more than others, do we, do we need to create environments to talk about it? Or do you suggest, no, give people space? I guess it varies, but I'm curious how you would coach an organization or a leader when these kinds of issues are going on, how do we kind of deal with these mental health issues that may well be right there in our work environment?
1: Yeah, uh, so definitely creating the space, creating the opportunities for people to be able to have those courageous conversations without um, without applying any pressure. Right. Um, because you want people to feel like it, it's an option to do, it's an option if I need it. Um, but they need to understand that they have, again, permission or grace to take advantage of those those opportunities. Um One thing, another piece of data, and I'm a data girl. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) That's good. I'd love (laughs) to hear it.
1: One um, data point that I found pretty jarring, um, but believable, is like, according to research, at least 45% of employees are dealing with depression or anxiety.
0: Say that again. What is the number?
1: At least 45% of employees are dealing with depression or anxiety. Wow. Wow. Um, and this is employees, Barley, not just corporate employees. This could be retail associates. Nonprofit, nonprofit, of
0: course. Yes, yes.
1: Um, and so, and that's, that's nearly half, and that's only of those who report in this particular study. Um, and, and the challenge with that is, um, in the past, for people who deal with mental health challenges like depression and anxiety, going to work was a time where you could, at a minimum, be distracted. Right. So challenges with having to deal with the day-to-day and move through the day-to-day and what's expected of you from a job performance perspective and managing the mental uh, mental illness, that's a challenge by far. But again, at a minimum, at least it was uh, an escape, especially if there were challenges at home.
0: I got out of the house that my commute to work was a bit of an escape, right, in some cases.
1: Yes, absolutely. Just the, yes, the, the drive to and from work, the interaction with colleagues, um, again, just an opportunity to think about something other than um, your challenges or, or your home life. Right. Now that separation t- no longer exists.
0: How do we help you? How do we help someone like that? Um, yeah.
1: And so you hear the kind of the corporate jargon or what's become corporate jargon, jargon, Um, around bringing your whole self to work. (laughs) This is that.
0: (laughs) Tell me what that means. How Uh, how do we do that?
1: Right. And so that was, you know, that was typically kind of an an employee engagement mantra almost.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And
1: especially in in particular for diversity and inclusion um, as well, be comfortable, bring all of who you are to work. Now people are having to do that. We're kind of forced into doing that in reality because we're bringing um, our whole self, we're bringing the puppies in the background, the kids who are <laughs> interrupting the Zoom calls, we're bringing all of that. And so um, lots of employees, they don't have an opportunity to again have those moments to disconnect in the same way they were able to in the past. So you have that again coupled with everything else that is coming, coming at yeah. them. Right. Um, and so again, paying, paying attention and being attentive. It's something at a very basic level. If you manage someone um, in, most, um, in, in most sectors, if you manage someone, at some point there's an employee check-in. Sometimes it's a weekly status call. Sometimes um, it's a, a day-to-day maybe team huddle. Yep. Uh, at a fundamental table stakes level, you should be asking people just, how are you?
0: might be as simple as that but often we take that for granted don't we and ask that question
1: absolutely and and to go a little bit um, deeper without being intrusive um, you could say you know work aside how are you
0: yeah good to distinguish that you really are asking about them as a person not yeah. an employee
1: right and you'd be surprised and it's up to that person to determine how much they want to divulge um, but leaders, Um, will need to be prepared to be able to handle the truth. (laughs) So if in fact um, an employee shares more than what you might have expected, um, have some education and awareness about some of the things that that could potentially be an issue. Um, And again, what's what's happening um, on a global level, on a national level, um, what's happening in communities, those are things that you can easily have awareness of to understand right. what employees might be going through. You might not be able to have insight into their personal lives and kind of what's happening on that level, but there's their connection points that might give you some context as far as what they might be um, experiencing. And so, one having that that awareness, just one being aware that there is some struggle to having um, some broader awareness of kind of um, from a societal perspective. Um, what the challenges might be from a universal perspective, what some of the challenges might be, um, and then being able to point them to resources. And I know for nonprofits, it's a little different. And in, in larger corporations, there's you know e and um, employee assistance programs where you have access to you know free therapy and mental health resources, and their online tools and resources and um, all these types of solutions that might not be available in the, the nonprofit um, sector, but um, the wonderful thing is there are there's a multitude of free online resources. Absolutely, uh, when it comes to um, to mental health, um, there's one organization. It's called uh, Mind Share Partners, and they're actually a nonprofit organization, but they offer um, uh, just um, a very robust and comprehensive, um, comprehensive tools and resources for um, for workplaces dealing with um, who want to do a better job at mental health and integrating mental health as part of um, just their the employee experience.
0: That's such so a that good point, and and it seems to me, Valerie, that as a nonprofit leader, I, it's my job to be educated on what these resources are. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're right, I may be confronted with uh, a problem I wasn't expecting. And I need to to not just <laughs> say, all right, well, let's move on and talk about our work. When a, <laughs> a, a one of my colleagues has revealed they're dealing with something. And so I'm glad to lift up, you know, uh, the Mindshare partners uh, uh, here in Charlotte. I, I've, we've done some work with uh, Mental Health of America, uh, kind of the chapter here. So awesome. I know there are resources, but Again, it's up to me wherever I am as a leader to do my homework uh, on behalf of my colleagues.
1: Absolutely. And um, at a very basic level, um, modeling modeling it for your employees. Good point. You have to take care of yourself in order to be in a position to take care of others. And again, if you're a manager... You are responsible for taking care of others, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, sometimes we think just to tactic, tactically and we're you know having to manage the day-to- day responsibilities. But the reality is it, people spend more wake time at work <laughs> than, you know, than at home. So
0: that's right.
1: If you are a people leader, you are responsible for taking care of, of, of people um, in some capacity. Um, and so being in a space where you can model what um, work-life balance looks like, what flexibility flexibility looks like, um, it's hard to tell a team that it's okay to work from home if you never work from home.
0: That's a good point.
1: It's okay to leave early for a doctor's appointment if you never leave early for a doctor's appointment.
0: Or to tell them, they don't need to work all night, but then you send them emails all night long.
1: <laughs> 11.59. Right. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to answer that email. I've heard but, people say that, so you don't have to answer. I just, you know, it, it's there. Yeah, but that's,
0: yeah, that puts such a subtle, if not overt pressure right. on our colleagues that we need to think about what we are modeling, as you put it so well.
1: Right. And I, um, when I was still in the corporate space and um, and leading a team, I would just be intentional about Um, you know, I am like, I'm stressed out. I've had uh, a million meetings and I really need to focus on this one project and be away from the office. So, um, I'm, I'm heading home. So just being more transparent about my experience and how I'm managing my kind of work-life balance or work-life integration. I think work-life balance is certainly a dated term.
0: (laughs) Right. Integration (laughs) is the appropriate (laughs) phrase now.
1: Absolutely. Integration, it ebbs and flows just like everything else.
0: Good point. Um,
1: but, um, but being transparent, um, if there were times when, um, you know, maybe something was happening, happening with my family, I, I don't, I didn't need to share all the specifics or the details, but just saying, you know, there's some things, you know, some things I'm working on at home. Sorry if I'm distracted. So things along those lines, just to create a safe space to create an environment where human dialogue is possible and it's acceptable.
0: That's such a good point. And you're right, historically, I can think back in my career that you're right, you just didn't feel comfortable sometimes sharing that you had a personal life. And of course, right. we all have a personal life. But yet, we didn't want to admit it in right. a professional setting. And so your point reinforces that maybe it's good, particularly as a leader, to share without going into all the details, maybe. But yes, I have a personal life. I'm going to have to deal with some things because that then creates a safe space for someone else.
1: Right. Right.
0: Well, this is fantastic, Valerie, on many levels, and I'm excited to lift up your headlining, a workshop coming up. Our mutual friend, Diane Chase, has done a wonderful job for literally 19 years now, the 19th Annual Profitable Communication for Nonprofits Workshop. It's coming up. For those of you listening to this episode, um, it may be past the date, but for those listening to it as it is uh, promoted, It's going to occur on December 10th, 8.30 to 12.45. Of course, it's virtual. So I hope our listeners could dial in from anywhere in the world and hear more. Uh, Valerie, I guess you're going to certainly talk about DEI. You're going to talk about mental health, but you're also going to put a practical communication spin. Speaking of yet another area of expertise, but maybe give us a little preview of what you're going to talk about uh, during the workshop.
1: Right, so part of it will be doing some of what we did as far as just building awareness around diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. To talk about, um, you know, the 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 same similar as far as this being a new normal and just getting people comfortable with the conversation and pointing out things that again they need to be aware of and opportunities to um, to educate themselves to become diversity experts because now we all have to be diversity. Exactly,
0: experts. it's
1: no longer time when that. You know sits off in a silo um by itself or on the shelf um so being able to provide some information and tools and resources around around that again becoming that diversity expert but um with this audience being um communicators looking at messaging um and messaging is so critical in this space and especially now more than ever again because people are being called out if it's not authentic right. if it's, credible. If you don't have the, you know, the street cred to kind of back up what you're saying, then you're going to be in in trouble. So we'll talk a little bit about um, building the right messages, but establishing trust and credibility with your key stakeholders, um, the folks who are going to be paying attention and holding you accountable. And then also a little bit about um, issues management and crisis planning, because sometimes corporations, even with the best intentions, um, make missteps. Um, or miscommunicate when it comes to diversity, equity and and inclusion. And and that's why for such a long time, well, part of the reason why for such a long time, um, some corporations didn't say anything because they didn't want to step in it. Um, Now they don't have a choice. (laughs) Um, But you can be thoughtful about how you would, you know, plan for, um, you know, for, for a misstep. Oh, and, and that's the relationships that you know that you need to build that need to be in place so when those moments come you have you know this bu- built-in advocacy
0: uh that's it's going to be just a gold mine of resources and and to the credit of the local iabc chapter that's international association of business communicators they've been doing this year after year and it's free for nonprofit professionals so i want to emphasize Those of you listening that have an opportunity to sign up and you can benefit from the kind of wisdom that Valerie and others will be sharing. And as you said, Valerie, it's such a critical part of the issues, the root issues you're talking about and DEI and uh, mental health, but how you communicate it, how you make your nonprofit, I think, uh, better in those spaces. Because, of course, that makes you more attractive for people to work for you, to volunteer for you. And I guess all of the strategic things that you'll talk about in terms of putting a communication plan together. Right. Well, uh, we'll have much more information on that in the show notes, along with Valerie, lots of good advice you've offered, but I want to if there's anything else as we kind of wrap up our dialogue and get people excited about the workshop, uh, any other advice you'd offer for a nonprofit leader that's kind of trying to get their arms around some of these tough topics.
1: Yeah, I would say, so there's um, another uh, term or phrase that I've come across recently, and I wish that I'd been the one to coin it, but I can't take credit.
0: (laughs) Right, Um, right.
1: But it's this idea of psychological safety, or psychological safety. Yep,
0: yep.
1: Um, And it's relevant um, whether we're talking about the workplace. um, Well, as we talk about everything that's impacting employees, who live much of their lives in the workplace. So are you creating an environment that is psychologically safe for employees? And a lot of what we talked about um, will create an opportunity for leaders to do a better job of that. And again, it all starts at a very basic level with awareness and understanding of the experience and the layers and the complexity and um, all that's come along with the trauma of 2020. Um, and just, you know, recognizing that they're long gone, gone are the days where we can separate our personal lives from our, our work lives. Um, we're at a space where we can't even, you know, separate our, um, workplace. <laughs> right. Literally. Home. Yeah. So, um, I, I totally can respect and appreciate how pressured and overwhelmed leaders must feel about having this additional um, level of responsibility. But the reality is if you have been um, blessed and fortunate enough to have a leadership opportunity, you have some accountability for caring for the people that you lead every day. And if you care for them well, the data tells you, um, human nature, (laughs) common sense tells you, that um, if you care for them well, they will perform at their best. They will go above and beyond. There's not much that they wouldn't want to do to help you and the organization succeed.
0: It's fantastic. Wonderful words of wisdom to conclude what has been a a, a goldmine of resources. And I, I think, frankly, a takeaway we all should. I will, and those listening, um, do you understand psychological safety? and what are you doing about it at your organization? Because as Valerie, you have just noted, it's the right thing to do and it indeed will elevate your organization in ways perhaps that you don't even realize. So thank you for sharing that. I'm excited to kind of lift up your work. And before we do that and talk about where folks can connect with you, as you know, I ask every guest, uh, is there a book that has been meaningful to you that maybe you could recommend to our listeners?
1: Yep, there's one book in particular, but but I must confess, I am definitely a podcast uh, junkie. You don't have to
0: apologize for that here on this podcast.
1: (laughs) So um, just some of my favorite podcasts um, uh, is How I Built This by um, NPR. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, Hidden Brain. And then I also love Work Life with Adam Grant. That is like, you talk about psychological safety when it comes to um, the workplace and just talking about it um, from a really real perspective, but making it practical. um, That's such a great resource. Um, In terms of books, there's a book that I've had probably for a good 15 or so years now, and it's called The Little Black Book of Success. Oh, good. It it focuses, it's called, it's, the subtitle is Laws of Leadership for Black Women. And um, it's a good developmental book, I think for all women in particular, um, but it, it touches on the, the nuances and the intricacies of being a person of color in corporate. And so while again, e- um, equality gives gave me access to different training and development in the corporate space, there wasn't a single resource um, offer that would speak to some of the um, very specific Challenges that I would need to navigate um, as a person of color, you know, um, with an eye on on leadership. So this book was super helpful, and it was given to me by um, an, a female executive um, of color. And so um, it, it's it was it was life changing um, for me. It was it was literally like the, the exactly the title, the little, little black book. I kept it <laughs> kept it handy uh, for sure
0: that um, I'm grateful you shared. If it was that meaningful to you, it's certainly worth passing on. And I'm sure you would encourage listeners, um, particularly women of color who are rising in the ranks of nonprofit leadership. That sounds like a book they need to have on their bookshelf for sure. So Valerie, where can we uh, find out more about you? Our listeners that want to know more about you and your work um, will certainly include in the show notes, but would you direct them anywhere in particular?
1: Yep. So, selfsoul.net online. Um, selfsoul.net is um, my my website, and you can get more information on both. Again, my um, corporate strategist um, background, as well as the um, mental health and psychotherapy, and then on social media, um, selfsoul inc on both um, Instagram and Facebook.
0: Fantastic. We will include it all in the show notes. Uh, Valerie, thank you so much for joining me
1: on The Path. Thank you so much. I don't often get an opportunity to talk about all my passions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You wrapped it up beautifully. And again, I'll encourage our listeners, if they are able, to to sign up for the IABC workshop and or uh, just directly communicate with Valerie and learn more about the important work she's doing. So thanks again for joining me on The Path. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Valerie as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and help you deal with some of these delicate leadership issues, such as diversity, equity and inclusion, as well as mental health. Don't forget about the show notes. They're available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, and where you can find out more about Valerie and her work, as well as the virtual workshop coming up on December 10th, twenty twenty hosted by Diane Chase and the good folks at IABC Charlotte. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, please consider subscribing. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Also, don't forget about the podcast survey It's there on our homepage or through the show notes. Tell us what you'd like to hear, both in terms of guests as well as topics, and we'd be happy to incorporate that. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.